Hi, my name is Pete Scuzero. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. So glad to be with you. And today we're going to highlight another tool that I believe, we believe, that needs to be in the toolbox of every leader in the discipling of others, especially other leaders uh, or folks that you want to do uh, high-level discipleship with. Now, today's title is called Why Skimming Over Your Losses Kills Discipleship. Why Skimming Over Your Losses Kills Discipleship. Actually, it kills a lot of things. It kills community. If you skim over your losses because uh, it, it kills vulnerability and openness and love, it really impacts the kind of cultures we're building. Uh, it kills people growing into spiritual maturity because you end up having folks who are not fully human, but folks who are living what's often called an over-realized eschatology. They're too spiritual and not earthly grounded. It also kills our missional effectiveness in the world, uh, our ability to really enter the world as compassionate men and women uh, versus ended up people seeing us as judgmental. It, it really serves and solves that because it grows and matures us into real compassionate people as we uh, absorb our own losses. So this Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast actually has two thrusts to it. One is, of course, as you listen, your formation as a leader, uh, but it's also uh, uh, hoping to equip you to unleash a disciple-making culture uh, in your ministry. Uh, I see as the primary work in scripture for every leader is to be uh, discipling others, feeding sheep, helping folks mature and be formed and grow in Christ. So today in I'm going to share with you a 13-minute segment, uh, once again, from a level two training that is found in our training vault. And it's called, um, it's on coaching the grief and loss chart of someone. It's actually a very practical tool to uh, really serve your intentionality of mentoring another person or discipling another, other people uh, and to move them forward in their, in their discipleship journey especially if you are seeking to develop other leaders. Uh, so let me give you a bit of background uh, for where this fits in uh, and give you a bit of context of what you're going to hear uh, in that 13-minute segment. So we developed, uh, over the last 28 years, uh, a course that you've heard me talk about often called the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Course. Part one, called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and part two, Emotionally Healthy Relationships. It's really been a 28-year project, and it's about moving the church from a shallow to a deeply transformative discipleship. I, I like to compare it to an icebreaker ship. Uh, an icebreaker ship is, is used in places like the Arctic, Antarctica, to cut through the thickest of ice. Uh, and because of their weight and their design and their power, they can cut a path through 12 to 15 feet of thick ice. So then once they cut through that path, other ships can follow. The discipleship course uh, is like an icebreaker ship. It breaks through hard ice, 12 to 15 feet thick, in what I call faulty formation in people's lives. Again, it's been rightly been said that over 85% of people in our churches are stuck spiritually in their walk with Jesus. So you can actually download a free course video preview of what is this EH discipleship course, part one and two, and uh, see a free session video. Just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash preview. That's slash preview. But today, I want to talk to you about a level two training of what it means to actually bring this to, to a ministry. And it's on coaching the grief and loss chart as a very practical tool. 
Uh, but a little background, it's part of uh, the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality uh, course, which has eight sessions to it. Now, again, uh, th this course was developed to, to address the missing pieces in people's discipleship, especially in the Western church uh, today in the 21st century. Uh, and so it begins with session one, uh, which is the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality, where very often people are way too active, but they don't have a, uh, a contemplative or slow down spirituality life to actually sustain their activity in the world. And so end up having a very much a, a compartmentalized spirituality of sacred and secular. Session two begins to get into know yourself that you may know God and looks at King David who was fully aware of his inner world uh, emotionally, but he's also passionate for God at the same time. He knows God, he knows himself, but he's looking inside for how God is coming to him and how God's uniquely made him. And he knows himself and his history, and he goes forward for God and brings down Goliath. Session three is go back to go forward, how our family of origins impacted us. It looks at the story of Joseph, who had a very painful past, but how God used that that he might be a blessing to nations and how we come from families of origins and cultures, but we're birthed in the new family of Jesus when we come to Christ. And then God takes all of our histories and it's meant to be a blessing and a gift to the world. And then session four introduces journey through the wall where uh, the ordinary, ordinary way we grow in Christ is through valleys, dark nights, and walls. It's the, it's the way that God shapes us, the way God deeply transforms us. And then that leads us to session five called Enlarge Your Soul Through Grief and Loss. And actually, this tool I'm going to give you comes out of session five, Enlarge Your Soul Through Grief and Loss. Now, I'm going to, be, I'm going to introduce it just to give you a, a bit of background here and then explain kind of what's happening in this session that will then take us to how do you coach someone's uh, grief and loss chart? How do you help them not skim over it, but actually embrace it, absorb it, and it becomes a gift for the rest of their lives? So uh, let me just say, again, in this introduction to, to the whole theme of grief and loss, that we can't grow in spiritual maturity without actually addressing it. Grief and loss are a central part of what it means to be a human being. But like the culture around us, we in the church have been taught as well that these are interruptions to our lives. And life is meant to be up and to the right. We like control. And when we see a loss come into our lives, we see it as something like an alien invasion interrupting our normal trajectory. And Western culture uh, is bigger, better, faster. It's kind of an ascent theology. That's American spin is God made us to be happy and rich. Uh, and our culture doesn't do lament. Uh, and so I know my first 37 years as a human being, I buried all my losses uh, very much. I wanted to medicate myself away from them and get busy and active and solve things and fix things. I threw myself into work, even working for God, anything to avoid pain. And uh, the church just didn't give me a theology, like most of you, a theology for anger or sadness or waiting or depression. You know, how are you? We say, couldn't be better. God's working it all for good. And we feel guilty if we're not rejoicing in the Lord always. And we think that if you're sad or grieving, you're unspiritual and something must be wrong. And so it's not surprising that over the years, most Christian leaders that I've met are emotionally numb with little awareness of their feelings. And it goes back to Western culture, bad theology, and a lack of understanding about our families of origin and how they impact us. And uh, so it's no wonder so many in our churches struggle with uh, even expressing grief and loss and emotions. But to, to hold sorrow before God, to welcome it, is central to leadership and central to discipleship. 
It's one of the main ways God enlarges and grows us and grows our soul and transforms us into lovers of him and other people. And so the, 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 this session uh, begins with introducing a theology of grief and loss, how we're called to pay attention to our pain, to feel it deeply uh, rather than resist it, or to wait on God with it. Uh, we call it the confusing in between uh, because God's not in a rush and God's doing something. Uh, and lo- loss and grief forces us to stop. And then the third phase of biblical grieving is we let the new, let the old birth the new, that Jesus is alive and new beginnings come. And so in this session, uh, in the course, Emotionally Spirituality, people do a Bible study on Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, where we see him sorrowful and troubled. Uh, we see him uh, falling on his face to the ground and praying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He's not a superhero. He doesn't deny his losses, his grief. He doesn't minimize it. He doesn't blame anybody else. He doesn't over-spiritualize it. Uh, he doesn't blame himself. He doesn't rationalize or distract. He doesn't medicate himself. He's weak. He's vulnerable. He's broken. He models leadership for us. He's not proud and, and defensive. And so what people do is, after this Bible study, they, they actually fill out a, a grief and loss chart in their workbook. And to, to look at losses and disappointments they've experienced at different phases of their life, different age spans, say 3 to 12, 13 to 18, age 26 to 40, etc., uh, and list their losses, and then what was their response to those losses at the time. And it gets them started to begin to do an integration of their losses into their spirituality. And so what I'm going uh, to share with you right now is take you through a clip of coaching a leader's grief and loss chart. So yes, in, in that session one in the course, people are beginning to do this integration. But what we're really seeking to do is develop disciple-making cultures in our ministries. And so uh, what this level two training in our training vault offers is giving you some free coaching on how do I coach my leaders so they can then serve other people in doing it. So it's a uh, it, this 13-minute clip is part of this level two training on how do you coach a person's grief chart once they filled it in. Because um, again, our goal is not to not that, that course, your church has a course. Our goal is that your church becomes a discipleship-making culture. So again, this is with a point leader doing it with our table leaders one-on-one. So I'm going to begin by explaining a leader, uh, how do you coach a leader's chart in six phases. There's actually a worksheet. You can download that. Uh, it's found on our website. Again, it's free. Just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash training. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash training. And you'll see actually the the six phases of coaching a leader's chart on that in there. And then you're going to actually listen in on me coaching and mentoring or discipling three different peoples in their grief and loss chart. In fact, you can watch a full video of me doing this uh, and looking at their grief and loss chart as I'm talking. Uh, again, just go to Level 2 Training and you can sign in for free access at emotionallyhealthy.org training. So here it is. Here's this 13-minute clip on how do you coach someone's uh, grief chart. And then I'm gonna come back when this is over and I'll make some final comments and further applications for your leadership. So, enjoy. Let's go through the six phases of coaching together now from the worksheet. Our goal is to use the tool of the grief and loss chart from session five as a means to deepen a leader's formation of discipleship in Jesus. And here's the six phases of coaching. You'll ask them, of course, to send you their grief and loss chart before you meet. Phase one, you'll prayerfully review their chart and answers to questions one to four before the meeting, noting a few questions you may want to ask. 
Be selective as you will only have time for one or two. Phase two, you'll thank them as you begin for being willing and vulnerable to share their grief chart with you. And then you'll ask any deepening, clarifying questions, such as you'll notice body language, for example, posture, tone of voice. You'll look for major losses like divorces and abuse, adultery, premature deaths, major disappointments. Notice any further repeated words. What was that like for you, you may ask? Possible questions, how did your family do anger, sadness, fear, disappointments, losses? How'd they do play? Did this exercise intersect with any of the negative life messages you identified in session three? Go back to go forward. You're not enough, you're a loser, you're invisible, don't be you. Were there any invisible losses? For example, loss of affection, warmth, family, comfort, safety, play. If little is written, you may want to ask, why do they think that is? Phase three, you'll want to focus in on their answers to questions two and three. What work have you done in processing your losses and disappointments? And what might be God's invitation for you going forward? Phase four, you'll help them consider, if possible, next step implications. For example, using Explore the Iceberg in morning prayer, praying the Psalms, seeing a mentor, therapist, wise peer, reading a particular book, such as A Grief Disguised by Jerry Sitzer. Phase five, encourage them for the miracle of their life. As John of the Cross notes, the greater the grief, the deeper the revelation and ability to serve others. You may give them perspective of what they have overcome to get to this point. Their courage, faithfulness, the grace of God, the fact that they are with you at this moment and sharing so vulnerably the pearls of their life is amazing. And phase six, bless them in prayer, formally or informally. Now let me show you what I did with three different table leaders, grief and loss chart, as I moved through the six phases of coaching. Now remember, in each case, I did have them send me in advance their expanded grief and loss chart worksheet the one that's in your manual. The first table leader we'll call John. What struck me as I looked at John's grief and loss chart was the large number of significant losses, especially in his early years. So I started with asking him a few questions. I asked him about his brother Pat's suicide that happened between the ages of 19 and 25. It turns out Pat was only 22 just a few years older than John. The loss of his father and the divorce were huge losses that he had just started talking about as well. There were other losses mentioned here, such as his brother Steve's untimely death from cancer, as he had been his mentor and father figure for many years. But the most important thing I noticed as he talked about these very painful events was that there wasn't much emotion coming from John. I wasn't sure how much of it had actually gotten beyond his head into his being. I noticed his responses of acting out in anger. He mentions anger twice and confusion, guilt, questioning, but I didn't get a sense that his feeling muscles were very developed. But then again, it made sense with all that pain in his early years. Remember beneath anger, what's usually going on is sadness and fear but I suspected John probably didn't have anyone give him permission or space to actually grieve. So it just came out as anger. So I asked him, 
How did your family do anger, sadness, fear, disappointments, losses? His answer was simply, Pete, they didn't. So this was a critically important discipling moment for John with me, and a very vulnerable one. John is a highly competent, gifted, successful leader. And add to that his family of origin messages, the notion of slowing down to do something weak, like weep or grieve, was not something he could or would easily move towards. I challenged John at this point, suggesting to him that learning to feel, helping those muscles come alive, was a very large discipleship issue for him, that it was key to his wholeness and maturity in Christ. And then I suggested two things for John to consider. The first was to begin reading and praying the Psalms of David, who was a great feeler before the Lord, and to begin journaling regularly as part of his morning devotions. Journal about what he was feeling on the inside based on different interactions he was having with people. I told him how similar I was to him and how much that helped me come alive to my feelings that I had buried in my own history. I encouraged him to rewatch the video for Explore the Iceberg from the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course, as that would help give him more context for what I was talking about. And finally, I did encourage him to read A Grace Disguised by Jerry Sitzer. As he learned to grieve after his mother, wife, and one of his daughters were killed in a tragic car accident, that he may find that some of Sitzer's reflections might help him put into words what actually was going on inside of him when he was experiencing his own catastrophic losses like that of his brother. Now, the second grief and loss chart I want to share with you comes from David. As you can see, he didn't write much, but what he wrote was very intense. Being molested, his mom being in and out of mental institutions, becoming homeless in his late 20s and 30s. I'm careful to tread carefully with this level of trauma in a person's life, taking note of my limits as a pastor and as a Christian. I'm not a therapist, we're not therapists, but I'm offering mentoring and coaching in a pastoral perspective that's our unique contribution to his healing and maturing process. So in phase two, I asked him about the blank boxes from ages 19 to 25. I simply asked, what happened? Where did all that early trauma go? He had a lot to share. At this point, he couldn't see much good coming out of his painful history. So when it came to answering the question like, are there any losses you have not yet embraced where new life might still be waiting to be birthed, phase three, he didn't say anything beyond, quote, to sit and feel the wounds afresh. But it turned out he has done a lot of work. He has spent years in AA and NA working the 12 steps, and he's had a couple of rounds of therapy. In other words, he has been in a great process and is very much on the journey of integrating the pain and losses of his past. But his trauma is a trauma with a capital T. So what did I do? First, I offered presence and love in Jesus, as he shared. I was awestruck at his resilience the grace of God in his life, the miracle of him being married with children and, and leading in Jesus' church. I believe the best thing I did was to be with David during this time, as he shared, and helping him see a larger framework for his pain. 
I told him I had no idea why God had allowed such suffering into his life as a child. But I did know that this suffering was now his to steward as a gift for the world. I reminded him of John of the Cross's insight found in phase five of your worksheet, encouraging him about the miracle of his life, telling him that the greater the grief and suffering in one's life, the deeper the revelation, the deeper the transformation, and the wider ability to serve other people. David, I said, God must have an incredible plan for your life. And I then sought to give him perspective of the miracle of where he is today as a leader and the evidence of his life about the amazing grace of God upon him. Now, the third grief and loss chart I did was Jane's. Phase one, I was struck by the number of losses she noted in her chart and her ability to articulate them. You'll notice three to 12, she noted moving four times due to her father's job. That's pretty intense for a child, losing friends, schools, roots. 13 to 18, she notes not supported by teachers in her career as an actor, another loss. 19 to 25, married early, divorced from abusive spouse, a response of crying out to God. She's a Christian at that time, so that's an additional loss on multiple levels. 26 to 40, I noted, quote, experienced spiritual abuse by pastor I worked for. Ran away, told God I'd never work at church again. Cried and lamented for six months. 41 plus, move and resignation from an unhealthy, abusive church job. Lamented with God for many weeks. So I began by asking, as I started phase two, what was it like for her to move so much as a young girl? And then I followed it up by asking her how her mom and dad helped her process her losses. And that expanded as she started sharing into a question about family commandments and how they dealt with sadness and grief. Her response was, we just were expected to get through it. We were not allowed to be sad. Move beyond it because everything's going to be fine. So I didn't give myself for years permission to be sad, nor did I know how to be sad. So I just would get angry. That was much more accessible to me, she said, and would simmer below the surface. But I did ask her about the divorce from an abusive spouse, as that was no doubt a very significant event. I moved to phase three and asked her to tell me more about her answers to questions two and three in the application section of the workbook, also repeated in the worksheet she filled out. What was the experience of filling out the chart like for you? Did it reveal anything new to you? And are there any losses you have not yet embraced where a new life might still be waiting to be birthed? I follow that with the question of, what work have you done on processing your losses and disappointments? For example, mentors and therapists, spiritual directors. And finally, I asked her, how do you think God shaped you as a person and leader through all these losses? She responded, I think God has allowed me to hold loss in a different way. I'm not so hell-bent on why, but accepting that loss is what God has used to refine my character. I can now hold on to the unknown much better. There's now an acceptance in me uh, that I think has made me a softer person. At that point, I shared with her that grieving loss is not only an emotion, but a skill that we mature into. Comparing that to how a person becomes a master artist, a master musician, or a master carpenter. They begin as apprentices for one to two years, followed by seven to 10 years as being a journeyman or journeywoman. And then finally, they become 
masters in their craft after 10 to 15 years. And I encourage her that she's on a journey and she's clearly in a process. She's like a journey woman. She's learned a lot. Uh, God's clearly done a lot of maturing in her through her losses, making her a much softer, compassionate person. But I exhorted her to stay on that journey with Jesus, the joys and the losses, the successes and the failures, and to continue to let God form and grow her into a true mother of the faith as she already is well on the way in that journey. I hope you enjoyed that. Now, it takes great strength to turn towards grief and loss and not away from it. That's why it's so important that we, we serve and help each other in that. We allow grief to do its work in us and on us. It's the way that God develops depth in us. Certain maturation in Christ can only happen here. In other words, the darkness that comes as grief actually is a treasure because it shapes us. It creates a capacity in us to hold more of life, to create a, a spaciousness in us. There are just so many treasures found here. Uh, God gives us a revelation, a greater revelation of himself. Again, if we allow him in, he gives us a greater revelation of ourselves. We become softer, more compassionate. Uh, much of our false self begins to be shed we become more truly who God's uniquely made us to be, uh, we actually become alive uh, to our amazing world. And again, our capacity to hold God and other people expands. But this takes faith. It takes faith and courage to move towards grief. And we're not the same when it's all over. So we chose this coaching, this grief and loss chart from part one of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality uh, because it gets at feelings and integration of our feelings into our discernment of God's will, into our humanity, into our family of origin uh, and unbiblical commandments that often we're carrying from our histories. It, it helps people create a culture of weakness and vulnerability. It touches on so many issues in our, our theology and formation and leadership and discipleship. That's why our title is Skimming Over uh, losses kills discipleship. You can't grow into spiritual maturity without feeling deeply before God. And I trust you can see why a bit more now. So two questions I often add when I'm coaching people's grief and loss chart, and for you to consider is, I'll often raise the question about how did your family do attachment or emotional connection or closeness? Uh, and it's, it's a great loss for anyone if they didn't learn or experience secure attachment in their families growing up. Uh, now, remember, we're supposed to be building mature, loving communities in the name of Jesus. But we're, we're formed so much, so deeply in our families about how we attach or how we connect relationally. Uh, it shapes us, us and how we do it as adults. And so you may have heard of different attachment styles to describe how we grow up. Secure attachments where our parents or caregivers were attuned and responsive to us, engaged. Uh, we learned how to connect with others and ourselves. Then there's avoidant attachment styles, which are maybe our parents or caregivers were emotionally unavailable or dismissive of our emotional world. Feelings weren't important. And so we, we feel disconnected ourselves from our own desires to connect and emotions. And we often are isolated. Then there's ambivalent or anxious connections where people were kind of attuned to us sometimes and not other times and was kind of unpredictable or intrusive to us. And then some come from disorganized attachments, uh, families of origin, where it was there was abuse or terrifying behaviors. Uh, and it was very, very confusing. And so we experienced relationships as fundamentally dangerous. That was my history. 
So I also bring that up, bring that up because it, it, it's it's a how we that's a it's a loss that what we didn't get or did didn't get or what we did get in our families of origin around the issue of connecting or secure attachment. And then I'll also mention mention another principle, which is that absence is a form of presence. And we often think of absence like a parent died when we were young or a sibling died, but it's actually even more than that. There's many things that we did not get in our families growing up. That's what makes this session on grief and loss so tightly connected to our families of origin going back to go forward, which is in session three. Uh, for example, if your family experienced abuse, there's so many, so many things that were absent, like in mind, there wasn't bonding, there wasn't play, there wasn't delight. I was just trying to survive. Or a generational lack of grace. You know, there wasn't grace in your family. It was prove yourself, earn, accomplish, work. And uh, work, 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 work. And it just wasn't grace. Uh, and we, we try to earn the unearnable. So again, watch the whole session on video, including the three people's grief and loss chart uh, around six phases of coaching a person's uh, grief and loss chart. And again, just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash training and go to level two. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash training level two and watch the video and download the workbook. And my prayer is that you will find, as John of the Cross did in the 16th century, that God has God has been hiding in the dark night, the last place that we often will look. It's a hidden place. But may you and I equip people to be truly spiritual mothers and fathers of the faith for all those around them. And we help others discover, not just ourselves, we help others discern the gift of God that's often found in the most wounded places of our lives. So may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you this day. Uh, and may you set people free to become all that God's called them to be, that their lives may by, might be a gift to the world. So blessings to you. Have a great day.